Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Eddie Lauren, Managing Director and Founder of Strategic Realty Holdings, an opportunity to invest in multifamily housing, receive tax credits for investing in opportunity zones, rehabilitate faltering communities, and make a difference in the lives of people. Now, you know that it's not enough just to make a decent living and trust someone else to manage your money for you. Instead, you want to control your life and your financial destiny. So that's why we here at The Money Advantage are helping business owners to build time and money freedom using our three-step strategic cash flow system to help you keep more of the money that you make, protect that money, and then make more. Today, we're going to learn about real estate opportunities in another sector and how this may be an opportunity for you to build and grow wealth. Now, today's opportunity is specifically for accredited investors, and many of you in our community do fall into that category. This is having over 1 million in net worth, not including your home, or having over 300,000 in household income if you have, if you're jointly filing, or 200,000 per year if you're single. Now, if you were an accredited investor, you're actively seeking the right opportunities that fit your investor criteria. You're working your specific knowledge base and your experience with your passion and your unique ability. And when you combine these factors, you're lowering your risk and increasing your control in your investments. Now, if you're not yet falling into the accredited investor category, this is a great opportunity to expand your education in preparation to become the person who invests well, understands the value proposition and who you're providing value to and build your investor identity. So let's talk a little bit more about who is Eddie Lauren. Now, Edward, Eddie Lauren, founded Strategic Realty Holdings, LLC, as a culmination of his years of experience in investment real estate and as an offshoot of Strategic Realty Capital, which he also co-founded. Since 2008, Strategic Realty Capital has purchased over 15,000 units in more than 70 transactions valued at over $1 billion and has built a strong performing portfolio. So here's a little bit more about Eddie Lauren. Over the past 30 years, Eddie Lauren has successfully purchased and transformed $3 billion worth of multifamily real estate, either as principal or advisor, amounting to more than 180 thriving communities covering approximately 40,000 apartment units throughout the United States. Since a young age, Eddie has been a dreamer, a doer, and a proponent of the underdog. As one of four boys raised by a single mother in Southern California, Eddie grew up with modest means. Losing his father as an infant and his mother at age 17 drove Eddie to create a life and home for himself that was better than the one he was given and to help others living in similarly tight financial situations to do the same. Eddie has made it his life mission to fix the housing affordability crisis in America and to make safe, quality housing and community support available and affordable for all. Eddie is taking his experience and leading an intergenerational movement tired of inflated housing prices to do the same through his work with Strategic Realty Holdings, the perfect marriage of impact investing and multifamily real estate, providing a triple bottom line, financial, environmental, and social returns for its investors. Open to accredited investors and institutions, Strategic Realty Holdings delivers market rate returns to investors 
while providing more affordable, better quality housing to those who need it most. Eddie is also making strides in philanthropy as well. He is the co-founder, alongside his wife, in the Healthy Apartment Property Initiative, a 501c3 nonprofit that provides free on-site social, health, and wellness programming right to the doorsteps of residents and families living in apartment communities. So without further ado, let's dive in. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Um, I'm really excited today to, to share this uh, this very special guest because not only is he uh, an entre- uh, entrepreneur, but he does it in a socially conscious way of uh, trying to provide affordable housing for people across the nation. And so that's that's near and, and dear to my heart, uh, helping people socially. So uh, I am really happy that Eddie uh, agreed to to be with us today. Absolutely. So today we have a special guest, Eddie Lauren. And so Eddie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Excellent. So once we've um, kind of had a, a little bit of an idea of what you do through the introduction, tell us a little bit about who you were before you came into the real estate and business sphere. <laughs> who I was. I think I, I hope I'm still the same person I was when I was growing up. You know, I grew up of modest means and really didn't have a lot of dough. Uh, my mother was uh, a single mom for four boys and my mother did die when I was 17. So we didn't have all the luxuries that I'm proud to say I have today. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of love and respect and the concept of you got to be, you know, you got to be clean. As long as you're poor, it's okay. Be proud, be dignified. So I always carried that with me. And even as I've seen some success, I've always wanted to make sure that everybody has a clean, safe, affordable place to live. People are respected and treated with dignity. And they tend to stay, pay, and refer their friends. And that's the formula. We've gone across all the properties that we've transformed. You know, we take blight and make light and take properties and and have vision to be able to make them into thriving communities because there's so many neglected communities out there. Oh, absolutely. So let's, before we jump into your specific investments with strategic realty holdings, how did you get into real estate in the first place? What was your break into real estate or your reason, your why? Well, when I got out of college at UCLA, um, I looked around for jobs and I tried residential real estate and it didn't really work because that was more of a, you know, a weekend job. I wanted a weekday job, more corporate job. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to office buildings. They were sexy and high rises. And I started at the top and started cold calling and didn't really fit in the office business. And then I got into retail and then did industrial and marketing. And then I did management. I tried to see all the aspects because I always tell kids when they're in their 20s, if you do nothing but learn, you'll be great the rest of your life. So the only That's thing something I didn't, that- most people need to know. That's right. Uh, but, you know, and, and you got to eat crap, as they say, and, and learn from people. And so I learned from some surly characters, but that's how you get the best education. And ultimately, I found uh, a crazy guy who ends up wanting to buy apartments. And so we actually bought 25,000 of them. So that was, um, wow. It was a lot. It was, it was in the 2000s. And it was all 95% leverage. And as you can imagine, it 
crumbled, but uh, it was a great learning experience. So we were closing deals, 3,000 units at a time, 20 properties across the country. So um, I learned a tremendous amount. So that's the whole point. You have to put yourself in the position where you learn what can be done and what not to do, learn the mistakes. And ultimately, we, you know, I went on my own with a partner from that crew and, and a team in 2008. And we started buying in the distressed times of the 0910, and we found that we had a real knack for buying foreclosures and buying distress and taking that distress and transforming it into a thriving community. So over and over again, we just came up with a good formula, and now we just do it in our sleep. You know, you want someone to look at your sign that you drive by, let's say it's 200 units, and say, I only wish I could afford to live there. And they get inside, and they can't. And now you got a really nice paint job, a state-of-the-art fitness center, resort-style pools, nice outdoor community areas, community gardens, nice paint, interiors are appointed beautifully, and it's that fake Gucci bag if you can't afford a real one. And that's the basic thing. So if you know you look a little younger than maybe Bruce, but you know I always <laughs> thought of Suave does what theirs does. Yeah, Suave does what theirs does for less than half the price. That's the thing, you know, you can either build new or you can buy old and make it as good, but not with the tall ceilings. You know, there's some obsolescence that you can't make a ceiling higher than eight feet to nine feet. The newer product is what it is, but oftentimes we're half the price. So it's about a value proposition. Uh, That is excellent. That is, you had a couple of concepts that we try to teach our, our entrepreneurial business-minded listeners. And one of them, I believe, Eddie, is you you focus on one like niche. So you stay in your lane. And when, you're, when you do that, you find that you can identify the proper deals. You still do your due diligence, obviously, but you know which ones that you have to do due diligence on. And, and the rest, you just say, well, we're, no, we know right away. We don't, we're not even going to bother with that. Can you, can you comment on that? Is that true the way you do uh, your research? Well, first you have to find your lane. That's the hardest thing in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you find it, you're absolutely correct. You know, we look at, we get deals all the time. I know basically if someone's asking 40 a door versus 80 a door in one market, that's a hell of a deal. But if they're asking, you know, 40 a door in another market, I'll say, you know what? That sounds cheap, but I know that market. I can't do it because mm-hmm. I've been across the country. So you save time, you're efficient about your your underwriting, and you try to teach the new guys, you know, when they bring you a deal, say, hey, schmuck, what are you doing? That's crazy. Or, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's what you just showed. That's, that's, the learning, yeah, that's, that's the learning process, right? For the younger guys. Now you're actually yeah. the, the swami teaching the younger guys, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, right. So, and it's interesting that you mentioned the failures along the way. Was that a big part of you figuring out what the niche was that you wanted to focus on? Yeah, I'm still failing, unfortunately. I just um, had a huge failure. I tried because the concept of, I think you mentioned your listeners understand what accredited investors are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I there's a jobs act which allowed non-accredited investors to come into the market and be able to invest instead of going through the stock market. So I had this great idea, always ahead of my time, to start a a crowdfunded REIT for non-accredited investors. Yep. And um, I called it Impact Housing. 
which is basically doing the same thing I've done over and over again. Now, we just closed the deal in DC and we raised money in two weeks. We raised $7 million. It took me over a year and getting through the SEC and we only raised two out of the $3 million and I lost more on that venture than I've lost on any other real estate deal I ever did. Mm -hmm. So we all fail and we continue to have to try to fail and it's painful. But I guess that's how you learn. I thought it was a no-brainer that every millennial in the country, in the world, actually, because it went through the SEC, would be thrilled to step up and be part of our, you know, our investments, whereas they couldn't before. But the fact is, I am, I don't, I don't know if I should be embarrassed to say, but I'm frustrated to say, a million five out of the two million I raised was all accredited investors anyway. Oh wow. <clears throat> so maybe they were not recognizing the value or somehow they weren't aware of the opportunity. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm, I don't know, but we spent a fortune on Google and mm. ads. That's why I started this, imp- this um, podcast venture, mm-hmm. doing all these wow. podcasts. I was on uh, plenty of podcasts and it just, for some reason, hasn't resonated. I think we're way too ahead of the of the curve. And I don't know that the millennials are in charge yet. You know, I'm trying to deal with a lot of the foundations and endowments. And that's kind of frustrating too, because the most obvious impact investment, besides feeding people, clothing people, it's shelter, right? Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to explain to these foundations that, you know, solar in Botswana is not as necessary as housing the poor. Mm -hmm. So it's not that sexy. And that's because I think that the older you know, generation. It's just my theory. The patriarchs are still in charge. And until the millennials who really do want to do well by doing good and have profit with a purpose, until they're in control and they get to transfer wealth, I don't think this whole concept of impact investing is going to take hold, even though I still am fighting the fight. Mm-hmm. But, um, I just, I love what you're sharing there. And I think, I mean, I think part of it is we're working to educate people in general, that they can be in control of their financial life, of their destiny, that they can invest differently, that it doesn't have to be, well, just put 50 bucks a month into a 401k and hope everything works out. But really, it's about saying, how do I own assets? How do I increase cash flow? How do I look at things that are outside of myself, or maybe even what I learned from my parents or what my friends are doing? And how do I really take full ownership of my financial life? And I think that educational curve is something that's really important for people to be able to see and seize opportunities like what you have. So let's go back to, you mentioned impact investing. Talk a little bit more about what is impact investing? Well, profit with a purpose, doing well by doing good. You can make market rate returns and still do the right thing. Even with your stock portfolio, if you decide that you're not going to support any tobacco stocks, you don't invest there. It's Mm -hmm. been proven by many studies that almost all people's returns have been very similar because they're investing in companies that are working on social causes and proper governance. You know, when when properties, properties too, but when companies are run well, they tend to be more steady. And they deliver more consistent returns and they're not not as volatile. That's a concept of impact investing. You're investing in what are called ESG, um, environmental social government 
governance clause. There's 17 of them. There's a whole theory of impact investing. And it's important to look it up and see uh, how many, like for my instance, you know, what we do is about seven of those, seven out of 17. And so I feel like it's the ultimate impact investment because again, you got food, you got clothing, and here we go, shelter. Housing crisis in this country is one of the most incredible issues and it's only getting worse and the government closing hasn't made it any better because now the vouchers are going to stop and landlords are going to be hurting and people are going to, you know, who have one foot on a banana peel are going to have a lot of issues. They're going to have, you know, an eviction on their record if we have to let go or if they're going to skip. And it's just a mess. It's not necessary. I know this isn't about politics, but it's politics are so critical to our business because not everybody can afford to live in the rents that are there. And they're all hardworking people. Mm-hmm. You're getting a voucher to give them a sliver of help so they can pay their rent and they can buy gas. And this is what people don't realize. These are the people that are getting affected. And, you know, there's no shame in getting a voucher because if the rents are $1,500 and you're making 10 bucks an hour, you're not supposed to be paying in order to have a decent life. You're not supposed to pay more than $800. So if you got $700 difference and the government's paying it to keep you housed, what is such a shame? See, that's mm-hmm. what is, is so problematic about people and their judging of people with vouchers. Oh, Section 8? Yes, Section 8. Yes, hey, we need more of it. Eddie, I, I watched your videos. Um, I don't currently have any Section 8 housing, but I've done it in the past, not to the extent that you have. But the thing that hit me through the videos is exactly what I experienced when I did have my Section 8 housing was that those people are appreciative. I found they, t- they took care of my property better than the, the non-Section 8 people. Um, yeah, they got a lot more to lose <laughs> because if they lose that voucher, they go to the back of the line. That's exactly right. And so I, and I got the same stigma when people would say, well, where's your, where are your, uh, your flats? And I, I tell them, they go, Oh, that's probably really a bad area, isn't it? And I said, well, I'm trying to make it better. And the people that are there are very appreciative. And I don't worry about my rents like I do at the other places. So I don't know why the stigma is is involved in that whole uh, episode. But your your videos really touched me. And I'm appreciative of your movement. And whatever Rachel and I can do to help this along, we're going to continue because it's near and dear to our, our hearts, too. So what can we... What can we do? What's the one thing that you want to get out um, to to the listeners to, you know, help you along with this movement? Don't be afraid to invest in our communities and to make a difference. We all have to band together, and you know, you can make a profit with a purpose. And don't turn your nose at at things because, you know, the sexiest thing is not the most cash flow oriented thing. You know, cash flow should be sexy, not glossy. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. It's absolutely true. And honestly, you're not the first person to say that. I mean, I think we hear that so consistently time and time and time again. It's not about the flashy buildings. It's really about the things that are consistent in producing cash flow. And I mean, you're you're preaching to uh, what's very important to us and our listeners in terms of really making sure that it makes financial sense. But I love that you said, don't be afraid to invest in that in your communities. Can you talk about what is your community? Talk about the opportunity zones and kind of how that is, how that impacts investors and then how that also impacts the people who live in those areas. Okay. 
Opportunity Zones came out of the 2017 tax reform. Three basic tenets that I think everybody needs to understand. Number one is you can defer your taxes, not only on a real estate gain, but any gain. Let's say you had your Apple stock for 15 years and you decided it's time to harvest those gains. Let's say you have a million dollar gain. You can take that million dollars, not pay taxes on it. You can defer those taxes till 2026. So if you invest in 2019, seven years of a free loan from the government. Now you're going to invest that $7 million and you are going to get a return because you're going to invest in what's called an opportunity zone fund, which invests in 8,700 distressed communities across the country designated by each governor. So it can be a development, you can open a chicken joint, you can open up a new manufacturing facility. It doesn't have to be real estate, but real estate's a good investment, of course. And it's a way to invest in these distressed communities so that people can have that infusion of capital. Only three states in this country in the last 50 years have gotten 80% of the venture capital. You can guess which ones, California, Massachusetts, New York. The rest of the country had suffered from a lack of funding. So this mm. is a way for everybody to take their individual gains and hopefully invest in their own communities through these opportunity zone funds. So number one is you got a free loan from the government until 2026. In 2026, you pay your taxes on that gain that you took, but you get a 15% step up in base. So you get a discount for your pleasure. And that's important. So if you don't only have a million dollars, it's your only source of capital, you better not put it all in there. You need to still pay your taxes in 2026. But the real key to the whole thing is if you hold that investment till 2029, because you invested in 19, that new gain, let's say a million becomes worth 2 million, that extra million is tax-free. Unbelievable. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. A great way to take unharvested trillions of gains and put them into distressed communities. Now, there's politics to it. Now, that, that's the good news. Here's the bad news. You know, there's politics completely. So you look at some of these locations and say, what? Downtown LA right there, right next to Staples Center? That's, that's an opportunity zone? Gee, what politics were involved in that? So <laughs> most of these areas are going to get, you know, most of the dough. But there's still opportunities for everybody to go build. And so that's why I think the housing business and some manufacturing are probably the two best ways to go at it. Um, the issues are you have a hundred percent tax basis to spend. So let's say it's not going to be for rehab. So let's say you have a building it's worth 10 million bucks in downtown LA and it's 50 units. That's 200 a door. Let's say you could justify that it's really downtrodden and maybe 30% because you know 20% is normally what your land value is versus your building value. So we've gotten, and I'm on a couple coalitions in DC, we've gotten a couple of the, um, we've got some clarity on that, that you can remove the land value. So let's say now it's $7 million. So $7 million on a 50 unit building, that means you have to still spend $7 million to renovate that building. For 50 units, what are you going to do? You're going to take a ball and chain to it. So what could happen and what might happen, we have to be conscious of it, is may actually go against the very people it's trying to help. And that's a statutory issue, and it's not going to change because we're not getting anything through Congress. As we can see, we can't even open the government. So we have to live within the parameters of the, the law, and that's kind of frustrating. So that's one thing. So that's why my crusade is to say, 
I'm working with, let's say, the state treasurer's office. How do we get a property tax abatement? How do we get some goodies to make sure that we're not building to A, rents and pushing people out? And so- that, and that was if, something that I saw specifically on your website. And so basically this idea that if there's an opportunity zone and a lot of infusion of capital comes into that area, then it's going to make the area upscaled. But then at the same time, it's going to inflate the demand for housing and inflate the pricing, which is then going to push the very people out that it's trying to help. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, but more about if you have new construction, you have to have rents commensurate to justify the new construction. So that's just going to buoy the rents up in and of itself. Whereas if we could just buy and rehab, but look, I'm singing to the choir. I've tried hopefully on the next round when there's a decent, healthy Congress, if that ever happens, we can try to move this to the next level. But for now, we have to build new. And so we have to build new smartly and make sure that we don't um, push push everyone out. So is that your main objective right now is then building new as opposed to renovating the old? Yeah. And we are going to fund others that build new. So we're part of a coalition of low-income housing tax credits. Our company, Alliance Strategic, if people want to look it up, that's Alliant, A-L-L-I-A-N-T, Strategic com or strategicrh.com, we have about a thousand buildings that are low-income housing tax credits that we have facilitated in building with tax credits from banks and insurance companies, $14 trillion, billion dollars under, um, under um, AUM, assets under management. So what happens is these developers go and they apply for credits and the banks and insurance companies get brownie points for investing in these credits and they get um, they get tax credits. So that's the way almost 3 million units have been built of affordable housing in this country in the last since the last tax reform of 1986. So these tax reforms are good things. So we primarily have been focused on funding 100 developers to build this product. Well, that developer has to apply for credits they have to apply for soft money. They have to get in line for bond financing. And it's a lot of added expense and time. So now they can build the same exact product in these distressed communities without that, because they can build what we call workforce, which okay. means there's no credits, but it's the same product. So we can put these people with our funds that we raise in business. And so hopefully we can be part of the solution. We need about 7 million units to be built before 2030, or this situation is going to get worse. So, you know, it's not just about rehabbing. I'm not trying to bang that drum only. It's about rehabbing and we need to build more products. So it's supply and demand. You have a lot of supply, you're going to have better rents. And that's really the, the global thing. So now you have issues in California and trying to push for CEQA. We have a California Environmental Quality Act that anybody any neighbor can one neighbor can stop a development so you could be going five six years spending money on land entitlements everything else and this sequa is it can kill you well there's a time frame on which you have to take the opportunity zone funds and invest them in the ground it's 31 months so we're trying to say hey state of california you better pass something that at least in an opportunity zone development get rid of the sequa or you're not going to have anything mm -hmm. Give you another example about um, venture capital in the opportunity zone because it's not just about real estate. So 
I'm on this coalition I mentioned, EIG, and we were in D.C. in Washington, and this fellow Kowalski, who works for Mnuchin and the treasurer's office, was there listening to all of us. And this guy says, I'm a venture capital company. I invest in 10 companies. One is a home run. Two will be okay, and the rest are total losers. You're telling me to go invest in these locations that are, you know, arguably questionable, invest in these incubators, and you want to tell me that the one home run I get, I have to hold for 10 years? I'm out. Forget it. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute. That's not what we intended. So that's why we were able to make some progress so that now you can sell as long as, you know, you sell your company in, let's say, three or four years, as long as you reinvest and don't take the money for 10 years, that still qualifies. Now, that was a huge victory, but that wasn't part of what was written into the law. So you've seen a year where nobody's really done much because there's certain clarity that everybody's waiting for, including now. We were supposed to get clarity on January 10th. Well, the government's closed. Here we are. Um, And, you know, it's just, it's obviously I'm very pissed about this (laughs) government closure. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's a problem. And it's stopping, you know, this childishness is stopping us from going forward. But it's an example of, you know, there's got to be flexibility and we're trying to move money around and redistribute wealth, and hopefully it works. It's kind of amazing in this environment that, that this legislation actually did slip by the goal. So when you look at the parties that are involved, I, I think, and Bruce, you might have been going this direction in the very beginning when you said a lot of what you're sharing has to do with the principles that we teach. So we know that dollars follow value. And when you provide value to a particular person or group of people, that's where the the value transaction is happening. And then dollars can be a result of that. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard of Bob Berg and the go-giver, and that's part of where that is coming from. But so I'm seeing multiple parties. You have your investors that are investing through REITs, I believe, correct? Uh, for the opportunity zones, they'll be investing in a, an opportunity zone fund. Okay. It's just okay. clearly a, a fund. It's not a REIT. It can be a REIT. A REIT is okay. just um, a cooperative of, you know, it's pay, basically taking an LLC or a C corp and converting it to a REIT, mm-hmm. and you have to distribute ninety five percent of your money. That's all it okay. means. So REITs are one aspect of a fund. Okay, so we're looking at the investors. We're looking at you as Strategic Realty Holdings Company, and then we're looking at the other party of being the community or the tenants themselves. So. Can you um, just help us to clarify what is the value that the investor is getting? What's the value that the tenants are getting? And then what's the value that you as Strategic Realty Holdings is getting? Okay. We're the organizer. So we get a fund management fee and promotes after everybody makes their returns. And we participate in the profits. And we share those profits with the developers out in the world who are going to build the product in the instance of Opportunity Zones. So that's. one capacity. The tenants get a clean, safe, affordable place to live, hopefully. And, uh, you know, they get new product where they were not living in such a great environment before, presumably. And we will take vouchers, <laughs> assuming they're back. And then um, the actual investor will get a preferred return of a 7%. So before anybody gets anything, they'll get a return on their capital. And then they will have a waterfall they split with us and they'll get the benefits of tax um, savings in terms of 
the deferral, the step up in basis, and then the ultimate gain being tax-free. Excellent. And so typically if investors are investing with you, they're accredited investors, are you looking for a minimum contribution that goes into that opportunity zone fund? Kind of what is their timing of returns? What could they expect? Well, most of this is new development. So you're, you got to, first of all, you have a gain. Let's say you sold your Apple stock. You have six months to take that stock from that money to invest in an opportunity zone fund. And then we have 31 months to invest that. So if it's new development, it's probably going to be two, two and a half years. So you're going to have no return for a couple of years because while you build the product and then you start catching up in the subsequent years on your, you know, on your 7% because that accrues because you're, you're owed 7% throughout the entire time your money's to work. And so ultimately, um, you know, we hope to, that it's a 3x on your money, meaning a million dollars becomes three and that two million is tax-free. And we anticipate, according to Novogratic, the accountants, that your savings from this whole program is between three and 400 basis points on your IRR over a 10-year period, which is pretty mm-hmm. tremendous. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So have you ever had any um, institutional investors come in and approach you about buying properties? Oh, you yeah. buy from us? Yeah. Or, so you don't just bu- you just don't just buy and hold for and then sell on your own. Well, or do you do? First of all, opportunity zones are very new. So our primary business okay, is so your to, primary is, is buy, rehab, build, and sell. And it depends on the investors and what their goals are. Um, on on the non opportunity zone business side, we bought three buildings in Maryland because we really are very happy other than the government shutdown and we're worried about our vouchers next month. Um, we're very happy about Amazon coming and we feel there's going to be a huge lift there. And so we'll either buy rehab and refinance or buy rehab and sell depending on the temperament of our investors. So we do private syndications and we always try to take everybody's temperature and see what, what they think. Um, so we, you know, we own property in Texas and in, the Beltway, Maryland and Colorado and Vegas, et cetera. So I'm about five, 6,000 units right now. So, you know, we still do private deals, but we're looking to put a lot of our energy and our expertise and experience into the opportunity zone. Excellent. So you, um, you're doing a huge amount of work and really making a big difference in a lot of communities. It sounds like throughout the US. Um, are you in your capital raise period of time right now? Yeah, we're, but we're waiting for final clarity from Treasury. And uh, okay. in fact, I have another call at nine with our lawyers about the new PPM, private placement memorandum on the Opportunity Zone funds. So yes, we are anxious to get started. We need we're, the systems to start moving again. Okay. So um, provided that does move forward in a timely fashion for you, um, kind of what is, uh, how would you say this? If somebody is interested in connecting with you, they want to be part of what you're doing, they would like to invest, how do they connect with you and kind of what does that process look like? Yeah, email me. It's E-L-O-R-I-N at strategic R-H for strategicrealtyholdings.com. So it's E-Lauren at strategicrh.com. Email me. Happy to connect and brainstorm and you know, 
collaborate, compare notes, all those, all the above. Excellent. And you also had mentioned, um, as I was reading through your bio and also just perusing your website, you guys are working on the Healthy Apartment Property Initiative as well as a nonprofit. Can you tell a little bit more about that and why that's important to you? Sure. Uh, People can go to get health and wellness training at the synagogue, the church, the YMCA. What's more of captive audience than to get it right where they live. We have these beautiful clubhouses and we have 200 people in, under our roofs, maybe more. And with 200 units, you could potentially have 500 people there. And so if we reach out with health and wellness programming, with gardening, uh, it's a great way to not only give amenities to our residents, but to really try to help solve some of the health crisis issues. You know, social isolation is is also a mental disease that we can help by creating a sense of community. My wife and I started this uh, in 14 because we saw a need for people to have a sense of belonging, a sense of awareness. And we were starting to work with Yale University on, a, on an NIH grant, which we ultimately didn't get, but we came pretty close and it inspired us to say, let's try to create as much of an outdoor sense of community and have some health and wellness training and programming and after school programming that we can to the extent it works in each, in each asset. So like, for instance, we have 500 units in Rochester, New York, of all places. And we're, okay. we heard from the Jewish family service. I'm Jewish. Uh, oh, uh, so we heard from them and we're trying to work on a pilot to utilize their expertise in reaching out to some of the elder communities and some of, a lot of other people and try to help make a difference. But the problem is always funding. You know, we have a certain responsibility to our investors to return. So if we're going to hire a social worker, you know, we don't really have the budget for that. And everybody says, Oh, you're a landlord. You got all this money. Well, no, we have obligations like anybody else and we have budget. So mm-hmm. the challenge is, is funding it quite frankly. And uh, okay. you know, the reaching out to the foundations, that's why I've gotten so involved in, the world of foundations and trying to understand them and what they really want. Because, you know, when the government can't step up, foundations have to. And so they're very tentative. In fact, they're more conservative than the government, uh, ironically. But, um, mm-hmm. well, that's because, you know, that's because they don't trying. have the Federal Reserve. They can just print money out of thin air, probably. So, uh, we, we, <laughs> but they do have missions that they need to, as, right, that, right, know, right, to, uh, to read. And so I, well, I just say, yeah, I understand they have they have certain uh, obligations through their through the foundation uh, procedures that they have that they they must do. Um, so Eddie, I, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And Rachel and I are going to do everything that we can to connect you not only to investors, but we're going to connect you to the, our other relationships that we have that are constantly looking Great. at this. We have a couple family office family offices that I know would would really like to at least explore this with with their accredited investors. And um, is there anything that uh, we haven't touched on today that you really would like to, uh, you know, kind of finish up the podcast with? Just to repeat that you can do well by doing good research, impact investing, realize that there is a way to make a difference in someone's lives at the same time as making a very steady and sexy cash flow. 
That's excellent. And I was going to ask you what drives you, but I can see that that mission of doing good is a really key part of that. Is there anything that I'm missing um, in understanding kind of what motivates you to keep doing this work? No, as long as you do the right thing and tell the truth, which is why I don't like the current situation <laughs> we're in in this country, everyone will take care of itself. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. And we're absolutely going to share the resources on our, um, the show notes, all the links will be in the show notes. This will be on our website as well. And we'll make sure that you have a copy and we'll provide all of the contact information for your company, strategic realty holdings, as well as your personal contact information as well. And we sincerely appreciate you sharing your intellectual capital and your knowledge and your wisdom and the good that you're doing in the world with us today at The Money Advantage. So thank you, Eddie. Thank you. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated. (laughs) 